Please turn with me in your Bibles to the ninth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9. And this morning we'll be looking at all 18 verses of the ninth chapter. Hear the word of God. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. There's a phrase I don't hear much anymore. I don't know if it's because of changes in zoning laws or what, but they used to talk a lot about the red light district. I understand that phrase goes all the way back to the Old West. Cities, larger cities particularly, have typically all had a red light district where all the prostitutes hung out, where the strip clubs were, the sex shops. There's an old pastor's joke that goes like this. There was a guilt-ridden man who one day walks into his pastor's office and as he hung his head and shook his head he said to his pastor pastor every time I walk through the red light district I fall under great temptation and end up giving in to sin what should I do the pastor looks at him and says stop walking through the red light district it's all right it's a pastor's joke I don't laugh at engineers jokes either The reasons we pastors think that's funny is because we see that kind of thing in our work all the time. People come to us captive to sin, and they're missing some very obvious solutions to their problem. What that joke does is it points to a spiritual truth, that when we commit an act of sin, 
that the world can see that brings shame or disrepute on us. When we commit those acts of sin, we've actually made a number of small choices leading up to that sin to put ourselves in the place where we could commit that sin. We've been talking about choices. We've been saying, as we began to look two weeks ago at the book of Proverbs, and we're doing an overview, a kind of a quick flyover of the book of Proverbs, we talked about how every day of our lives is a long sequence of choices. Most of them very small, trivial choices, some of them medium-sized choices, some very large choices that we have to make in the days of our lives. But that's, what, that's really a description of every day of our life. We're always making choices. And what we saw is that in Proverbs chapter 1 is that the whole purpose of this book in the middle of God's word is to teach us how to make wise choices, the right choices. It's what the Proverb, book of Proverbs calls wisdom. Wisdom is choices made, motivated by the fear of the Lord. I'm moving to the ninth chapter directly from the first chapter, partly because we're only going to do this in a couple of months, and we don't have time to dig into all the content of the book of Proverbs, but the reason I jump to chapter 9 is that it's a very nice summary of what chapters 1 through 8 teach. In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at the content of chapters 10 through 31, but when you think of Proverbs, you typically think of little pithy statements little bits of wisdom that are very short, typically a verse or maybe a couple verses or just a few verses, but in a whole long list of ones that seem pretty unrelated. So when we look at chapters 10 through 31, we're going to look at that topically, and we'll begin that next week. What does the book of Proverbs teach us about our wealth? What does the, Bible, or the book of Proverbs teach us about our marriage? What does it teach us about our work? And we'll be doing that in the, in the coming weeks. But here, in chapter 9... The, it, it's basically a summary of chapters 1 through 8, like I said, and what it is, is it's a collection, it's actually a bunch of lessons taught by a father to his son. And really, in order to understand the book of Proverbs, you need to understand that, that it's written as very sound, wise advice from a father to a son. It's really a legacy of wisdom that the father's trying to impart to his son let me read to you just a, a couple of verses right at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1, where it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And that's really what the whole book's about, but particularly the first eight chapters, which are longer sections. And throughout those first eight chapters, what the father tries to do is to lay out two spiritual forces that as this young son goes out into the world and makes all these choices in every day of his life, he's trying to tell his son, you're going to hear these, the voices of these two spiritual entities calling upon you, tempting you, drawing you in certain directions, that these two entities are vying for your heart, vying for your affections vying for your loyalty. And, of course, speaking to a young man, and so many of a young man's thoughts are caught up in trying to find the right woman, he sees that, I think, as a good metaphor. And so these two spiritual entities, he uses the metaphor of two women 
to represent them, to illustrate them. One I'll call Lady Wisdom, and the other I'll call Folly the Prostitute. Lady Wisdom in these first eight chapters is portrayed as a loving teacher, a provider of all good things. Matter of fact, even to the point of being the creator of all good things and one who guides and protects those who give themselves to her. Folly, the prostitute, on the other hand, is portrayed as a selfish temptress, a deceiver, a thief, and ultimately a destroyer. In verse 13 of the passage we just read in chapter 9, she's called loud. And isn't that a characteristic you tend to think of when you think of a prostitute? She's wild and brazen and crass. She's a seductress who knows nothing. If you know the book of Revelation, she's going to remind you of one of those symbolic characters in the book of Revelation. In chapter 17, talks about the great prostitute who has and offers to those who will follow her a golden cup full of abominations and who is drunk on the blood of the saints. Well, here the father in Proverbs is very aware that he's sending his son out into the world vulnerable to the temptations of folly the prostitute. And his desire is to teach his son to discern the voice of wisdom against the voice of folly the prostitute. He understands that both of these women, these metaphorical women, are going to be offering hospitality to this young man. And as we've said many times, in biblical cultures, both Old Testament and New Testament, hospitality was a huge issue. When you invited somebody into your home and invited them to a meal, you were inviting them into an intimate relationship with yourself. And so this young man, as he goes out into the world, he's facing a life and death decision, which is, which one of these two women are you going to dine with? Did you notice that as we read the invitations, the invitation from Lady Wisdom is in verse 4, and the invitation from Folly the Prostitute is in verse 16. Did you notice that the wording is exactly the same? They both say to the young man, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Now, the word simple, and we'll come across it a lot in the book of Proverbs. Simple, or if you're going to use it as a, as a description of a person, you call the person a simpleton, I guess. The simpleton in the book of Proverbs is someone who is morally and spiritually ignorant, naive, gullible. Lacking understanding and wisdom. Someone who's vulnerable to temptation. And that's the simpleton. Not necessarily one who has totally given themselves over to sin and darkness and wickedness, but one who is unprepared to face the deceptions and the seductions of the darkness. It's really describing all of us, in a sense. Particularly young people that have not yet received training in the word. And that's where the father considers his son to be. He's in that dangerous place of not yet being wise. 
And so as his son goes out into the world, he's being invited to two different feasts. Let's take a look at these two feasts for a second. First of all, the, the invitation, as I said, is exactly the same, but there's much about the invitation that's different. They're in two different venues, first of all, two different places. And look at how they're described. In verse 1, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. And so the first thing you pick up on is that wisdom, this noble woman, wisdom, she is diligent, she's industrious, she works hard, she designs and builds her own house. At the very end of the book of Proverbs, we have this wonderful woman described, the the wife and mother at the end of the book of Proverbs, the proverbial Proverbs 31 woman. What you realize is that she is imitating Lady Wisdom here. Lady Wisdom designs and builds her house. And what a house it is, because it says it has seven pillars. Seven, since this is a metaphor, seven representing perfection, completeness. But seven pillars, if you thought of a house in biblical times that had seven pillars, you're talking about a king's palace. You're talking about a huge house that's luxurious. Plenty of room for anyone who might respond to the invitation. But then you go down to verse 14, where it says that Folly the prostitute sits in the door of her house. There's no description of the house. The house probably is unremarkable. It's meant to be thought of as unremarkable. The point is that she, instead of being like industrious lady wisdom, building, designing, and building her house, she is sitting in her doorway. And when you think of someone sitting and seducing in the doorway, it's meant to be an image. It was in that culture, and it's still in our culture. It's the stereotypical image of a prostitute inviting her prey into her abode. What a contrast between the two. Look at the difference between the two menus that go along with the invitation. On Wisdom's menu in verses 2 and 5, you see three different items listed on Wisdom's menu. First of all, fresh meat, freshly butchered meat is being offered in this meal. Mixed wine and bread. Now, mixed wine doesn't mean watered-down wine. What it means is wine that's been mixed with honey or spices, something to jazz it up, something to make it special. It's It's a kind of wine that would be offered in a great banquet. And so... As these words are used, you get the impression that there's this palace that you're invited into, lots of room, and when you come in, there's a massive table there filled with the best of foods, and that's what wisdom has to offer. She is an elegant, noble woman, offering, opening up her palace that you might come in and eat of her rich banquet. My wife has made me watch enough of Downton Abbey that all I can think of is Lady Cora Crowley inviting you into her manor to come and enjoy the banquet. But look at Folly's menu. On Folly's menu, she offers stolen water and bread eaten in secret. Stolen water and bread eaten in secret. Bread and water. We call that jailhouse food in our culture. You see, the menu pales in comparison 
And Folly doesn't emphasize how good the bread is or how good the water is. What she emphasizes is that the water was stolen and that the bread is eaten in secret. So why would you choose Folly's banquet or feast, whatever you, you couldn't call it a banquet, what, what, why would you choose the meal that Folly offers instead of the rich banquet that Wisdom offers? Well, Folly understands that the appeal of her meal is in the fact that it's stolen and it's in secret. She's appealing to that dark nature in this simple man. That there's a great appeal to the, there's a thrill that comes along with sin. Now, of course, when we think about this temptation, this seduction that's going on, it's intentionally, it, it has kind of a sensual feel to it. It, 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 has, it, it. it makes you think of sexual temptation. And so it's easy to make the parallel here to sexual sin. Why do people commit adultery? Why do people commit fornication? Why do people view pornography? Why do you do it? When we know, objectively speaking, that if you receive intimacy the way God intended within the context of a man and woman in marriage for a lifetime, that it's so far greater than what pornography or adultery or fornication has to offer. So far greater. Why would you choose? It's because of the appeal of sin. And that's what folly has to offer, is the thrill of sin And there is a thrill. There is a pleasure. She calls it sweet. There is a sweetness to sin for a moment. And just a moment. It passes quickly. And it's like bait in the trap. And that brings me to the two different consequences to these meals. What is the scene on the morning after? What's the scene look like in wisdom's house the morning after what does this scene look like in folly the prostitute's house the morning after well in wisdom's house the description is found first of all in verse six it says those who dine with wisdom live and walk in the way of insight in verse 11 it says for by me by wisdom your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life Not only does wisdom's feast lead to life, real life, abundant life, but that life goes on forever. It's it's an allusion to to this life that never ends. At the end of chapter 8, you get more detail of the blessing where wisdom describes it here in beginning in verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Whoever, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Which brings me to the morning after in Folly's house. And that's described powerfully in verse 18. The dead are there, her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Today's guest list for folly is tomorrow's obituary. The end of dining with folly is death and destruction. 
Well, those are the venues, the menus, and the consequences. Let me shift your attention just for a second to what's between the two invitations. You'll notice that wisdom's invitation is at the beginning of the chapter. Folly's invitation is at the end of the chapter. In the middle, it actually addresses not the young man, but a different group of people. They're found in verse 3. In verse 3, it says that wisdom sends out her young women to call the simple to come. And again, it's the picture of a wealthy, noble woman who has maidens that, she, that work for her, that serve her. And so the idea is that she sends these maidens out into the community, out into the town, out into the highways and the byways and out on the city walls to invite all these simpletons to come into this rich and abundant feast. And so those maidens, it's very easy to think of who that's applying to. It's those who take the invitation to come and be wise. It's those who take that invitation out into the marketplace, out into where simpletons are found. The young maidens are people like me. Preachers, teachers, Bible study leaders, Sunday school teachers, parents, mentors, anybody who invites you into the wisdom that Lady Wisdom has to offer. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 6, it's really a good summary of the gospel, isn't it? There are three imperatives in verse 6 in this invitation. It says, leave your simple ways. In other words, repent. Stop responding to folly's invitations. Leave your ways of foolishness and turn into the dwelling of wisdom. In other words, turn from your sin and turn towards the Lord. Secondly, live. Receive the gift of life, eternal spiritual life from the Lord. And then walk in the ways of insight, the ways of wisdom. Submit to the Lord. Obey the Lord. This is where you find real reward. That's the message. That's really the gospel. But then, if you understand that these young maidens, these ones, these messengers for wisdom going out to invite people, that you'll note, understand that verses 7 through 9 then are instructions for these un- young women. Lady Wisdom has given them instructions for what to expect when they take this invitation out into the world. And he, she teaches them to expect two responses to the invitation from Wisdom. And the difference between the two responses is the state of the heart of the simpleton. Everybody's, all of us, as we're born into this world, we're simple. We're naive, we're gullible, we're spiritually, morally ignorant, vulnerable. And how we respond to wisdom's invitation is based on the state of our hearts. And you see this in the way that the two responses are described. First of all, the first group of people that that respond are the scoffers. Some translations translate that mocker. This is someone who has repeatedly spurned the invitation of wisdom over and over and over and has continued to make the choices in life based on the temptations of folly the prostitute. The mocker, the scoffer, is the one who has become arrogant, the one who has become hard in his heart, the one who has so continually rejected the truth and the grace and the wisdom that's being offered that they become hardened in that sin. And what you see here is it's not just one choice. It's not just one sin. It's not just one foolish choice 
that determines your destination in life. It's a pattern. It's a long sequence of foolish choices over a period of time which creates a hardness to the truth. And you notice what Lady Wisdom says to her maidens, her messengers, to do with the scoffers. It says, do not reprove a scoffer. Do not correct a scoffer. Lady Wisdom says to her messengers, you love these people, you have the intent of helping them, but they're only going to hurt you in response. What you're going to get is, the three words that are used there are abuse, injury, and hatred. Because that's what scoffers do with the truth. That's what the scoffers do with grace. I remember when the internet first became popular, everybody had it, and a lot of us got into just exploring what can you do with the internet. And one of the things I remember being pretty excited about was first was what they, these internet forums, these discussion forums, where people all over the world could enter into this forum and many of them would talk about some of these deep spiritual, moral, political, worldview issues that I love to talk about. And I thought, this is great. You know, I, talking to unbelievers, atheists, pagans, whatever, we're all in this forum and we can all talk about these big spiritual moral issues. And I thought, this is great for me. You know, I can sit in my living room or in my office and I can have all these great conversations. It never would have happened without the internet. And so I would get on there and I thought, you know, especially I like to write. I like to, to have debates or conversations in writing. That way I can be really careful and very gentle and very tactful in what I write. All that excitement lasted about one evening, I think. By the end of the evening, I felt beat up, persecuted, strung up, drawn and quartered, whatever you want to call it. Because what those forums tend to be populated by are scoffers. And scoffers may be polite to you out on the street, but when you get in the anonymity of an internet forum, you, your true nature can come out, and it's not a pretty sight. But that's what all of our nature is apart from grace. And that's what happens when you continually reject the truth and continually reject grace is you become hardened in your sin and your foolishness. And so what wisdom says to our messengers is don't keep putting the truth before the scoffers because it's only going to bring harm to you and shame public shame to the gospel. Jesus taught the same message. Jesus said, when you go out, you're going to go out like those sowing seed. And that's your job. Just sow the seed of truth. Take the message out there. But when you proclaim that message, you're going to get two responses. He actually listed four. He got a little nuance to it. But basically, it comes down to two responses. Hardened response, where the seed bounces off the surface, the enemy takes it away right away, and it has no impact. But you're also going to plant that seed in places where the soil is well prepared, where it's been fertilized and plowed and ready to receive the seed. Then it will grow roots and bear fruit. When he sent his disciples out into the world, in Mark 6, verse 11, it says, he said to his disciples, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Shaking the dust off your feet is saying, 
God's judgment is upon this town because you have rejected the truth. And in Matthew 7, verse 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Isn't that the same thing that wisdom is saying to her messengers, her maidens here in Proverbs 9? Don't keep laying the invitation to wisdom before those who are scoffers, those who are hardened in their sin. Now, I understand that some scoffers are easy to identify. Some that have softened and ready hearts to hear the word are easy to identify, but there's a lot of people in that gray area in the middle, and it takes prayer and wisdom and discernment to know who is who. But the point being is that it's not your job to make the, the dog accept what is holy or to make the pig accept the pearl or to try to drive that seed into the heart of the person who hears it. You're just there to give the invitation. The Lord doesn't want us to continue to incur harm and to waste our time and energy, energy on the scoffers around us. What we do for the scoffers is we pray because no scoffer is beyond the grace of God. No scoffer is so hardened in a sin that the Holy Spirit cannot change his heart. And that's what part of what it means to be a messenger is to wait for that work of the Spirit to happen. But that's the scoffer. But let's look at the other reaction. The one who receives the invitation, the one who responds in a positive manner, the one that verses 8 and 9 call the wise men. The wise men, it says, loves being reproved. He loves being corrected by the word of God. And he's eager to increase in learning, hungry for more and more wisdom from God's word, like a starving man at a feast. Like a starving man at a feast. That's what the wise man is like when he encounters true wisdom from God. If you've had a sudden conversion to Christ, then you remember what those first days and weeks and months were like, where you were like a spiritual sponge. You couldn't get enough of the wisdom from God's word. And that is a very special time. It's kind of sad that we become just like any beauty in our life. We get accustomed to it after a while, and we don't have that same intense hunger for it. But if the Spirit of God is with you, you'll always have that hunger. You'll always want more and more of the feast that wisdom has to offer to you. In verse 10, wisdom restates the theme of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does to a simpleton. The Holy Spirit takes this heart that is getting more foolish, getting more hard, and it plants within that heart. It changes and transforms the heart so that there is a fear of the Lord there that wasn't there before. A reverence for God, a, a humility that wasn't there before, a willingness to submit to the Lord that wasn't there before. And what that produces is teachableness. And really, that's what the book of Proverbs is trying to get across, is that teachableness that flows from the fear of the Lord is what makes a person receptive to wisdom. It's the key to gaining wisdom. As we said, you make choices every day. Your day is full of large and small choices. And every day you're hearing two clear invitations as you make those choices. Whoever is simple, turn in here. 
The voices are saying the same thing. Wisdom is seeing what's behind those invitations. Wisdom is understanding the consequences of responding either to wisdom from God or folly the prostitute. One of the most beautiful things about how all of Scripture ties together is that as you continue to study Scripture towards the New Testament, you begin to realize that this lady wisdom was actually pointing forward to and foreshadowing the one who is wisdom incarnate. The Word of God made flesh. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who also became a sinless man. The one in whom, as the Apostle Paul says, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Jesus often used that same analogy that Proverbs 9 uses of offering a great feast and inviting those to come to the feast who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are willing to acknowledge how simple they are and how much they need wisdom from God. And in one of the stories he tells about one of these great banquets, people offered up excuses why they couldn't come to the banquet. They just bought a field, or they just bought oxen, or they just got married. And what you notice there is that all the choices they're making are actually choices for that in this earthly realm are good things. Oxen, fields, wives. You know, these are all good things, but what they're doing is they're choosing those things over coming to wisdom's banquet. They're choosing to devote themselves to these earthly good things instead of coming to wisdom's banquet. And so, lo and behold, they end up in the same place as the vilest, most wicked people dining in the house of Folly the prostitute. Jesus Christ is the one who is offering this great palace and this table spread with abundant feast. He is the one who says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That invitation comes from John 6, and at the very end of John 6, he points to the necessity of the cross, that the cross is where this feast became possible for you and me. Because he says there, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. We are born into this world simpletons who have nothing to offer. We are naive and gullible and we're destined for destruction except that wisdom incarnate, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, has paid the price for our foolishness. He has died for every one of our sins. And we are justified by faith in him and we are given the gift of life, abundant life here and now, an eternal life in his kingdom. And so I guess the basic question of this message comes down to one. Are you, by and large, day in, day out, in your life, which is a long sequence of small, medium-sized, and large choices, are you feasting with lady wisdom or are you partying with folly the prostitute? Are you becoming a wise man or are you becoming a scoffer? We grow in wisdom by receiving the feast of the Lord, which in real terms are the means of grace that Christ has given to his church. The word of God, prayer, the Lord's Supper. As we feed upon Christ, we gain wisdom. 
When we looked at chapter 1, we saw that wisdom is more than knowledge. Even, it, wisdom is even more than knowledge of the Word of God. But it's not less than knowledge of the Word of God. It begins with knowledge of the Word of God. Wisdom is knowing God's Word well and then being able to apply it well to both your inner life and your outer life. That's what wisdom is, and we're going to see it as we go continue this study in Proverbs. That when we study God's word, what we're doing is we're consuming spiritual food. We're gaining Christ so that we might learn how to apply it and make good choices and therefore become wise. And so discipleship means being mentored by the teaching and example of God's messengers, those maidens, those messengers of wisdom that God has placed in your life, your Sunday school teachers, your parents, your Bible study leaders, your preachers, your pastors. You feed upon the wisdom of God's word and you gain wisdom and it begins in knowledge of scripture. You know, when I think about, we were in a university town where those of you that are taking courses, you're paying, from what I understand, anywhere between about $700 a credit hour and $1,800 a credit hour. In order to gain knowledge that will enable you to have a career in this life that'll last you maybe 40, 50 years if you're doing well. Here, in the Church of Jesus Christ, we offer to you education in the Word of God. The word of God that will transform your heart and transform your life and give you wisdom that will last for eternity. And we don't charge you a dime. What are you investing your life in? Where are you dining? Where are you seeking your pleasure in life? And it's not just knowing the word of God, but we learn this in the context of community. That's why this dining happens with a family of believers. Because you can't learn God's word and learn how to apply it to your life effectively by yourself. Because so much of applying the word of God to your life is about relationship. It's about overcoming pride. It's about overcoming temptation. It's about giving up idolatry. It's about learning how to forgive. It's about learning how to be one in Christ. That's what wisdom is. It begins by knowing God's word well, but you learn how to apply it by sharpening one another, by butting heads against one another, by learning how to live together and love one another the way that Christ taught us. That's gaining wisdom, and you're going to get it here among God's people listening to God's messenger present to you God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are here because we want to be wise people, and we are surrounded by foolishness in this world. We're surrounded by siren calls of temptresses and seductresses, and Lord, we need your spirit and we need your word to transform us. I pray that our study of Proverbs would lead us into greater wisdom, that we might be more like Christ. 
and use us as your messengers to take that invitation to wisdom to others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.